Are you ready, eager young space cadet? Meep, meep. I call a pussy And welcome to Of Course You Realize This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and it is my pleasure to bring to you my new guest for this episode, Cuckoo Magic on Instagram and YouTube. And he's just, he's a really funny comedian who brings real life mixed with cartoon magic. How are you today? I am fabulous. Hello. Yes, uh, it's true. I am cuckoo. Yes. <laughs> it's a lifestyle, it's a reputation, and it's true. Yeah, I am a part cartoon. It's a long story. Well, it's a long tongue. You see, these are visual gags, but the podcast listeners get the audio. Uh, exactly. You should Nobody can see this except for the, the people watching, but that's fine because it'll go up. On and uh, you should have heard the look that I had on my face the first time I saw my tongue do that. I couldn't believe my eyes either. I looked and sounded something kind of like this. <gasps> They're still there, right? I felt it in there. I do not try that at home. <laughs> try it at work. <laughs> what? No! So how do Never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Good warning for the kids out there. How did this come about? Where, where did all this cartoon magic start? Well, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna try to summarize it because every other time I do an interview, I <laughs> we talk about my origin and then it takes up the whole interview. I get stuck on it, so I'm gonna try to okay. stop myself uh, ahead. Uh, but you guys can listen to the deeper versions. Just Google uh, Cuckoo the Cartoon Magician, uh, and you'll be able to find those um, on YouTube and other podcasts and stuff. Uh, but I will say, uh, short term, I grew up as a kid that loved cartoons. I like to draw cartoons. Um, I had learning differences uh, in school, so I was kind of just like, what am I, you know, I just felt like that was my thing I was good at, and I didn't feel that good at all the other academic stuff. Um, sure. So um, once it came time to look at colleges, I got accepted to an art school, and I went through one interview, they said yes, I'm like, forget it, the search is over, I'm in an art school. <laughs> um, and then later I discovered that they did not have an illustration, a cartooning, or any of those programs. They had, you know, obviously like painting and drawing and all that stuff, but I ended up becoming a sculpture major instead. Um, okay. So that took me into performance art and creating robots and gadgets and just making things that do things. So as, once I was out of school, I had to, it's a lot like um, going to clown college, going to art school, which is that uh, they don't hand you anything after that diploma they don't say here's your clown job uh, or <laughs> or here's your art job that doesn't unless it's graphic design they're not just gonna doesn't entitle you to a job so i had to create something and um you know i'm skipping a lot because there is a venn diagram where i was already interested in performing and all this stuff while i was in school but um yes i mixed uh, my early day jobs with performing magic and very quickly um went pro with it and started performing in restaurants as well as stage shows. And basically I do it all, including virtual shows now, now that we're in uh, very cool coronavirus. Yeah. Thanks to the pandemic, you have to do everything from home. Right. And I also understand you have a cuckoo car. 
Yes. Your car is decked out in, yes. might I say, Acme products? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, it is the uh, Cucumobile, is what we call it. Okay. Um, and I, I do drive that monstrosity around on the streets among uh, civilians. And um, I was going to, I have a visual aid for you, Jonathan. Uh, okay. I was, I was going to bring a sound I'd love to see into it. it. Uh, just for the listeners, uh, so bear with. And you're in Pennsylvania, correct? I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm located in Douglasville, Pennsylvania now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there it is. There we go. So it's a bright purple <laughs> station wagon. It is technically underneath all that purple paint. Uh, it's actually, the color is called Booberry, as in like the breakfast cereal. Yes, um, yes. Big it, fan of the Count Dracula version exactly. of that. Yes. <laughs> Um, it is one of those monster cereal colors. Uh, it is um, actually a Ford Crown Victoria station wagon underneath from 1990. Nice. BC. <laughs> <laughs> um, and on top there is an, a giant Acme rocket. Uh, and out the back, when it drives, bubbles flow out of the back, especially when there's a tailgater behind me. Lots of bubbles. I turn on all the bubble blowers. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, of course, when I pull over, uh, I get to turn to someone and say, It's a hybrid. Oh, good, I didn't get that. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I, I would love to see it in person one day. Hopefully, I can get over there. And after all this, yes. and, uh, we can actually hang out in person because that'd be really fun. I would really love fun. that. Yes. So, we are here to talk about some cartoons and specifically. Wiley Coyote cartoons, and he's the one that uses these Acme products more than you, maybe. Um, but he's uh, he's a very loyal customer, and thanks to that, we've been given so many examples of what Acme has offering over there. And so I wanted to just have a really fun conversation with you about some of the classic shorts and also some of the new stuff that recently got released in the second batch of Looney Tunes cartoons on HBO Max. But before all that, I'd like to plug the podcast. If you are new here, this is a Looney Tunes conversation that you can follow on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at This Means Pod on Twitter or This Means Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We are talking... Looney Tunes, Tiny Tunes, Animaniacs, everything that comes our path that is tangentially related to the classic Bugs Bunny team. Uh, please like, subscribe, follow us. Uh, I'm trying to revamp the YouTube currently, and I've also got some exclusive content on our Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash this means podcast. Are you ready to dive in deep into some cartoon discussion? I am so ready. Awesome. So let's let's do it. Um, we're going to start off by talking some news. So in this news segment that we started last week, let's just go why into it uh, called Tuned Up. To ask it. What's up, Doc? All right, sister, out with it. Let's have it. Who, what, where, when, how, who, who? Here what? we're going to talk about everything going on in the news surrounding Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, Animaniacs, Tiny Tunes, whatever, whatever is in the news that uh, that we want to talk about. And we had two shorts for Tom and Jerry that were released prior to the film's release. They honestly blew me away how, how good they were. They are called On a Roll and The House That Cat Built. Both of these are 
throwback era, nostalgic feel, like with the graphics and the music and just the, the classic old designs are back. And it just felt like taken from the 40s or 50s and just plucked into now with modern style gags. And I really loved it. What did you think about, uh, well, let's, let's talk about On a Roll first. Uh, that's yeah. the sushi one. I was blown away. Well, first of all, I will say I watched not just these shorts, but all the shorts we're watching today. Uh, I watched them with my kids. Very nice. So that is an element I want to add here. Uh, so we have the filter of a two and a half, maybe she's actually almost three, an almost three-year-old and a six-year-old. Um, so on a roll, um, captured kind of that anarchy. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, so much to the point that uh, on second viewing, the three-year-old was almost overwhelmed. Oh. <laughs> uh, loving it, but overwhelmed. <laughs> there is a lot going on there. Yes, a lot of empathy there. And actually, I think um, since we are, you're talking to Cuckoo the Cartoon Magician. Yeah. Brand, Brand, you can also call me Brandon, but that's my Clark Kent uh, name. <laughs> you're all uh, But um, <laughs> there is uh, at least one gag in this one that I have in uh, one of my previous shows. But we'll oh, get wow. to that. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, it starts out, um, now first of all, forgive my ignorance, because it's sushi, I believe this is uh, set in Japan? Yeah, that, that was my guess, and uh, right. m- most likely. I didn't want to assume, because I can't read the characters, and uh, you know, the, by characters I mean the letters. Yes. The, the, yes, those characters. Um, so my, I plead ignorance uh, in that regard. Uh, but yeah, it was set there, you could see the, the street scene, it comes in, and uh, there's a sushi restaurant, it's preparing the sushi, and Jerry gets out his fishing rod, which I do now have actually a fishing gag in my Zoom show. Oh, nice. Uh, I can do that, can do that for, live for you at the end if we have time. Um, <laughs> cool. uh, but uh, Jerry um, catches some uh, sushi. He takes fish. three at a time. Oh. He takes uh, the three salmon uh, right off the, the rolls there and uh, swallows them whole, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> right, which um, turns the chef to Tom, mm-hmm. who is... Uh, Tom is apparently their guard cat uh, and stomps on Tom's tail with wooden chew, which is a, a great punishment. I'm like, oh boy, ouch. Uh, you know, or no more extra salmon for you. So then that becomes Tom's mission, his motivation uh, for the episode at that point. Yes. Uh, and that leads, uh, tell me if I'm skipping anything. My next note is the wasabi. Is there anything we should mention before the wasabi? Uh, no, I, I really love that wasabi gag. Just, yes. Uh, <laughs> slamming the plate of wasabi into his throat and then pairing that with the hot tea and making his head explode. I, it, it was just, you know, all out manic, but it was hilarious to see. Uh, well, that, that gag is um, a version of that is something that I've done in the past, which is a hot pepper gag. Oh, okay. Uh, where I've, um, in my cartoon show, which is more of like a theatrical production, um, I am opening a jar. The whole show, I'm motivated by just my hunger and that I'm trying to find something to eat. But i struggling to find something suitable and ending up, you know, cartoon hijinks ensue. Uh, so I'm eating yes. peppers. I don't realize they're hot. Uh, and then, you know, uh, the label just says peppers. 
And every time I look away, my arm extends and the label gets longer and it says hot peppers. I look down and say, good thing these are just peppers. I look up at hot peppers. And then I finally realize that it says hot. And then I pull up basically a Wiley E. Coyote type sign that says hot. And I go and I breathe through the sign and a giant flame comes out of my mouth, um, which I believe we had a giant flame from Tom's mouth. uh, We did this gag yes. so i just wanted to um weave myself into that one of my own gags uh that comes up like that in uh, one of my previous shows very nice and it's it's so well executed and for you i'm sure like the timing has to be right for that gag to work and what these animators did with this joke was not only does you know the fire come out at the right moment but like his his explosion of his entire being happens <laughs> and he's left with like that ashy look it, it's just it's so classic tom and jerry for me um it like that that was reminiscent here yes and to add to that unless i'm thinking of a different short that we watched recently not only was it the ashy look i believe he was a burnt match was that this one yes yes it was yes. yeah <laughs> He was like left in the form of basically like a shriveled up burnt match, which I love that detail. Yeah, yeah, same. So Tom comes back together and is chasing Jerry. I really loved the uh, the moment when Jerry is walking underneath the cats and it's the, the classic Japanese sculpture cats and uh, he's sneaking along and Tom is actually pretending to be one. And then he contorts his body to to get out of that pose and to uh, to snatch Jerry. I thought that was that visual though of uh, putting Tom in that position was really funny. Yes, that's that's actually what gave me some confusion because maybe those cats are just more universally Buddhist or something. Because I've also seen mm-hmm. them in a Chinese setting. That's why I was mentioning my ignorance at the top of this because I was getting or in my mind mixed signals. But yeah, I love those the cats that have the arm that waves, the golden one. Yes. That some that someone may have seen if they've been to Chinatown or somewhere like that, um, and Tom is uh, in a row of them mimicking it exactly right, right, right. And I guess what the only thing that led up to before that the gags I saw leading up were uh, the conveyor belts, which uh, within the past decade I've become aware of as a popular trend uh, in Asia. Uh, restaurants where actually the food is going around on conveyor belts, and Tom is chasing Jerry basically as like a find the the pea under the walnut type situation yeah um and when tom does get i think i forget what gag sends tom flying through a window uh leading up to the waving cap but uh the, the one that does it window, sorry the one that yeah. does it I, I love this um so he's he's doing that that pee under the walnut gag and he's looking under the teacups and he looks under one and De- jerry's actually there but he doesn't notice it because <laughs> there is so many yes. of them uh, he's stuck to the cup right yeah. He's looking down, maybe. I, I forget what the reason was, yeah. I, I think he's actually just sitting on the teacup. And so, like, he is, he's or he's on the plate. And it, it, it's just one of those, like, uh, absent-minded things where, you're, like, you're looking under so many things and, like, the thing that you're looking for is actually there, but, like, you don't see it. Like, it doesn't register that there's <laughs> the thing you're looking for. But uh, what I loved about it was how uh, Jerry stops um, because Tom is at the end of this conveyor belt, like ready to attack and, and Jerry is like trying to hold him back. And so he uses chopsticks and he stops himself um, on the conveyor belt, but it's still going. And it just sends all of these other teacups flying at Tom. And that's what knocks him through the window. And I, I thought that gag was hilarious. The way that they had the sound effects and they, they had the centrifugal force just pushing him 
uh, through that window. It, it just, it builds up nicely for me. And uh, that comedy really hit. And there's actually a, the gag that that leads into. It's a very brief, subtle one. Uh, when he bursts through the window, there's a sign that says sushi. And then when he goes through, uh, what did this, what did the sign uh, turn to? It changes to ouch. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love those little details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So many great little details. Going back uh, to the very beginning of this, um, they had the classic Tom and Jerry style intro. And, you know, like they had that, that uh, red on like velvet look. And it was just so uh, nostalgic for me to, to see that again, because I haven't seen that since the original shorts. And I thought they did a really good job of juxtaposing the classic with the, the modern comedy. And one of the things that the Looney Tunes cartoons are known for, and this is the same team uh, behind this. This one is uh, directed by Kenny Pittenger and he just did an amazing job here. Um, but all of the artists behind it are, are phenomenal. And basically having one set um, where the characters are and being it in this sushi restaurant, I thought was a really good place to have Tom and Jerry run amok and be antagonistic toward, toward each other. And uh, it just, it convalesces into such a really fun dynamic. And we've never seen Tom and Jerry interacting with uh, a, a sushi restaurant before. And so that was new and fresh. And I really liked that. Did, did you have any other uh, like sushi style jokes that you well, liked here? It doesn't get much fresher than uh, sushi. Yes. But that... <laughs> <laughs> no, <it doesn't. laughs> um, there we go. <laughs> that's my sushi joke. <laughs> uh, but uh, I guess, uh, I liked how um, Jerry was flattened uh, and then folded into a crane that then went on to uh, peck Tom. Uh, so that's a great just incorporating, you know, it wasn't just a sushi restaurant. It was uh, in Asia and it kind of had some more elements of the culture there. Um, yeah. And that origami Jerry just like comes to life and just starts pecking him like Woody Woodpecker. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was a really funny gag as well. And then speaking of, um, you know, whether it's just the uh, nostalgia of the Tom and Jerry scene, but even just the iconic elements, uh, the soy sauce bottle even, they had the soy sauce bottle, the iconic double spout on top, uh, I believe red lid uh, soy sauce bottle <laughs> that um, I think Jerry used as a oil slick, basically. Uh, yeah, that said, he did. Uh, Tom flying, and then that led to um, some, the pottery, that landed on his head and it was uh, miss you know one white circle had a black dot the other one didn't and then tom grabs a marker fills in the iris and then it takes on as if it's his face and it shows his frustration uh, I, I, love I really love that moment i love that moment as well and that is also reminiscent of what i think of when i think of tom and jerry is whenever tom got hit with something he would have an expression on that object and they did such a good job of incorporating that vase and, and that expression. It, it had a sense of nostalgia, but also the, the comedy was so funny and so vibrant that it ju jumped off the page. So like, I'm wondering, so how did your, your kids respond to that? Uh, did your girls like really take to, uh, to those types of gags? Uh, well, uh, I'll, Say my, my son and my daughter. My son is the six-year-old, but they, they they ate it up. Yes. Nice. Um, <laughs> now, I will say, as I said, uh, the three-year-old was more empathetic for this one, I think, just because she was relating 
to Tom. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, all, she really wanted Tom to have that salmon. <laughs> right. Or also it's just relating, uh, just he was getting in so much pain inflicted upon him. <laughs> and she was relating in that way. Um, but yeah, they, she was cracking up uh, in spite of, you know, she was going back and forth from panic to hilarity. I think <laughs> that's a good place to be. That's where you want yeah. uh, a good cartoon will take you on that roller coaster. On a journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and actually, nice. um, I didn't even have this in my notes, but to tag on to what you said about the um, whatever has been inflicted on him, then personifying his emotion, the octopus yes. Uh, also. Yes. Uh, the octopus's face was for a moment basically his face. Was- the, the animation of Tom, whenever he sticks his head under the water, they did such a good job of keeping the, the coloring different on Tom, even though Tom is a blue cat and the water is blue. They did a really good job of, of mixing the colors and making sure that they didn't uh, overlap. And I felt that the effects for the water were really strong as well. Like cartoon water is not easy and they made it look easy. Right. That's what I loved about that scene I remember. where Tom goes after Jerry in the, I believe he's in a clam or something or vase. Yes. And, uh, and then the octopus is there waiting for him. It just like lurches out and (laughs) (laughs) brings him in and starts punching him and everything. Yeah. I mean, you love a good octopus gag. The, um, this is totally a tangent, but just related in the broader conversation of water and cartoons, the original toy story, when, um, Woody got burnt and he had to throw his face in the bowl of milk. Yeah. They had to shoot it so that they didn't show the milk and they used sound effects uh, and they just showed it coming up because they, they weren't there yet for, 3D animation anyway, uh, show right. the liquid going and all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, it really is something to overcome. It is a cartoon water is a flex, you know, with that and bubbles. <laughs> Disney would put bubbles in every cartoon because I feel like it was a flex showing off how good their animators were, you know? I believe in every yeah. single Disney movie, there's some bubbles somewhere at some point. Um, That's funny. And I, I agree. And Pixar is there now. Yeah, the absolutely. Luca trailer just came out and it is gorgeous and they have uh, underwater creatures and and the uh, the ocean just looks vibrant and the waves are just like photorealistic so they they definitely made it to uh realistic water uh but there's just something about cartoon water yeah. that i still love more than seeing the photorealistic yes one. and cartoon voices i already drank all my water so i can't do a proper you know i can't do a proper um prop voice uh, by putting water in there but you know you understand uh, that has a nice element too. Um, and then I get the, the last gag uh, that I have in my notes here for this. I think that this that leads right into is uh, he rips off his face shortly after he rips off his face, which is actually a gag that I do even in my kids' show. I don't do a full face rip off. Um, there's actually some oh, wow. verbal puns that go with it. I rip. I uh, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, and I cover my nose, stick my finger up there, and I say, "As you can't pick your friends." nose and my finger comes out from behind my hand which is covering where my nose should be and my nose is on my finger and then i say grown-ups if you don't like the gross nose jo- nose jokes you can protest in fact you can pick it and then <laughs> and then i notice the nose i go ah! and i let go and there's a big hole where my nose should be and then i oh very nice cover back up throw it in there grab a hammer and then i you know go oh and I'm hammering the nose back on, bing, bang, walla, walla, bing, bang, etc. cetera. Yeah. My nose is back on. And it's great because um, that trick has evolved. Early on, I used to just do the nose and never show the hole 
At which point, you know, those stinkers in the audiences, the, the, the nose picking generation themselves, they're saying, <laughs> your real nose is behind your hand. And sometimes I'll still get that. And then I get to, now that I've uh, developed the trick to the point where I take my hand away and there's a black hole there. I do that and they're like, oh, they say, you know, a great uh, bait and switch where they're I'm like, see that? You see that, you little kid? I, it's really off. That's really funny. I'm sure that's a hit every time. Yes. <laughs> One of the ending gags that I really liked uh, was reminiscent of the billiards short uh, in Tom and Jerry. And uh, when Jerry hits two billiard balls at Tom and the billiard balls turn into his eyes, um, again, personifying the object that he's getting hit with. Uh, and this, it is the two little toy plastic breakaway things that have toys inside. Um, and those balls get hit into his eyes. And then they open and he has like a little squid and underwater characters that are in those toys. And I thought that was really funny. Yes, I skipped that. I was going to mention that too. I also wanted to compliment the Foley art on the classic no. of those. I just, it really, I think they may have actually used real... Um, prize toys to put this yeah. down because I was really it was a visceral uh you know I was actually put in the place as if I had really had the clacky uh, little plastic containers being clacked in front of me nice yeah and <laughs> it's so good it's so well done so shout out to the entire team behind on a roll uh, and as well as uh, the house that Cat built, uh, which is the next show we're going to talk about real quick. Um, we won't spend so much time on this one, uh, but basically the, the premise is Tom has just gotten in the ultimate cat tower. And it's, it's one of the, you know, those scratching towers that cats have. Well, this is like the, the condo version and it's super tall and he's uh, putting, he's hammering it together, juxtap with Jerry inside his hole, putting up a whole sweet hole, a little frame on a, on a wall, and he has his bookshelf there, and everything is nice and proper, and then the hammering starts, and it just gets wrecked, and so Jerry has a reason to go after Tom, because, uh, and honestly, he starts off very civil. He, he comes out here, and he explains the situation as Jerry can, and Tom is, like, really not uh, interested in it <laughs> he's like what are you saying okay yeah i i don't care and uh he just like slams him back into the hole and it ruins the rest of his stuff and uh and so then jerry takes out retribution on this cat tower uh so what did you think of this short and were there any gags that stood out to you yes yes um well i'll just say at which point that's where jerry decides to move in on Tom. He takes his whole sweet hole and moves in to one of the holes of the cat condo and all that ensues. But I'll skip forward um, the elastic mouse toy that snaps him back and forth, which then sends him into a situation where he's getting rope burn or rug burn as yes. he slides it down his cat tower. Uh, but That was horrific. The raw meat. The raw sizzling cat meat uh, <laughs> that he's left with. <laughs> That was uh, a whole thing into itself. Um, but that led into uh, the one that I was going to put the uh, relate to Cuckoo, um, which is that um, at, shortly after that, a whole section of the cat condo comes smashing into him, uh, which leaves him with a flat, not quite a normal traditional flattened face. Instead, it's a flattened head with a face that is pushed into a tight cylinder yes. through that hole. But uh, yeah, yeah, the frying pan where the head goes is what my equivalent to that. And that stood out to me. Um, I was excited to see one of those gags. 
And then, of course, he nails his feet to the floor. Yeah. One of the things I love, when, when Jerry uses the decoy mouse for Tom to grab, and it turns into this whole thing where he's sliding from left to right and just destroying the tower as he goes. It's just a violent action, you know? Like, And there's a lot of force on that string, and then the string actually breaks, and then he gets uh, slammed up against the wall. It's, it's so funny um, to see Tom take all this pain, but also, yeah, like, you're like, how much can he endure? <laughs> like, <laughs> you start wondering, like, is he going to be okay after all this? <laughs> um, and he's not, because we don't actually see him again uh, after the, the gag where he gets, um, so the bottom of the tower gets taken out and he has to hold up the entire thing. And while he's doing this, Jerry takes out three nails and nails his feet to the bottom <laughs> of a carpet and then takes a saw and just saws him and the condo basically down into the basement and it just topples him. It's a very violent cartoon, but Tom and Jerry is known for that. So what, I, I have a question. Was this, was this too violent for your kids or did you find the violence to be uh, funny in a, in a playful way? For some reason, um, I mean, my son was just on board with everything, 100%, uh, <laughs> universally, the six-year-old. Uh, but for some reason, my three-year-old daughter uh, was more overwhelmed by the sushi one for whatever reason. Maybe it had oh, to do okay. with, you know, the sharp implements with, you know, just the, you know, shing, or those types of things that just kind of, yeah. I'm doing gestures right now with my hands. But Jonathan will fill in a word that means like heightens, I guess heightened. Heightens, there we go. Yeah. Heightened it, um, <laughs> heightens the whole thing and just kind of really raises the stakes emotionally, you know, because um, the Foley art and that one, I feel like really was on point with like enhancing the weapons and everything. Uh, not that this one lacked at all. In fact, uh, something that did stand out to me was it wasn't just a handsaw at the end of this. This was, I believe, the first time I've ever seen what in modern days is... Uh, popular called a sawzall, the electric sawzall that people, it's an electric saw that uh, people, contractors will cut out an entire door frame with, uh, cuts through, it, they call it a sawzall because it cuts the wood, it cuts the nail, it cuts the cement, it just saws through everything. And that's the first time I've seen a hole through the ground gag done with a sawzall, not like a handsaw. Uh, okay. And that struck me to see. <laughs> <laughs> They, they are never short of new material to use and, and new uh, weapons to right. uh, come up with and appliances. So uh, kudos to the team over there for coming up with a Sawzall yes. <laughs> to modernize the Tom and Jerry cartoon. And then the button on the whole cartoon at the end was uh, Jerry was now the top that said Cat Condo was now leveled at ground zero. And uh, Jerry crossed out Cat and wrote in Mouse. And that was, I believe, the button the whole show ended is, on. Yes. Yeah. It's a very sweet button. I, yeah. I like that. And uh, I, again, I'm always rooting for Jerry. So I, I like that he got the uh, the win, uh, as you will, on this uh, short. And uh, But just the, the amount of torture that Tom went through. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't undeserved because he, uh, he did slap him back into his hole at the beginning. <laughs> um, so both of these shorts uh, were released in... Uh, conjunction with the new movie to get kids audiences excited about the new movie and I feel like they did a good job because people are talking about them um, 
I don't know if there's been a lot of advertising for these. Did you know that they were on there and before I sent them over as recommendation? That is a good question. You know, full disclosure here, I didn't have HBO Max until yesterday. <laughs> uh, so maybe I would have sought them out had I known that they were there. Um, I think I may have actually known. Okay, um, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I good. definitely am aware of the, the film itself, that's for sure. I haven't seen it yes. yet, but I am excited for it. Yeah, same. So they are doing a good job with that. Yeah, I, absolutely. I can't wait to see it as well. Uh, I'll be doing that this weekend and I'll be posting a full review over on the Patreon and a smaller review here on the podcast. So look forward to that. Um, so to uh, to go into any more news that came up, uh, we had a announcement that there will be a season three of Animaniacs on Hulu, which is a series that I really liked and my wife really liked. We got to see the characters from the 90s back and in a really fun way. You know, Pinky and the Brain kind of stole the show there uh, with their shorts. But Yakko, Wacko, and Dot are always a pleasure to see. And I'm so glad that we're getting another uh, season of this. Even though we haven't seen season two, it appears that it will be premiering later this year. And on its coattails, we'll have a season three to look forward to. So... What do you think about more Animaniacs? I am 100% for that. I uh, was very excited. I saw uh, Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche yesterday each posted something uh, personalized. I think Rob did like a little poem that, to announce nice. it. And uh, Maurice did a, a selfie of he and Rob, you know, technically bending the rules a little bit just for a brief crossing paths for a selfie in the hallway uh, after recording the first episode. So the first episode for season three is underway, which is uh, thrilling. Very exciting. <laughs> I saw that photo as well and I was like, yeah. oh, they're together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just a joy whenever those collaborators come together and uh, Tress McNeil, who does the voice at Dot, and Jess Harnell, like the, the entire cast is so great and we're so lucky to have them still. And I'm so glad that they're getting this work because it's really fun work. They, they're getting to be comedic, but also be poignant. And, you know, I mean, you're, you're saying um, one of them wrote a poem and I feel like writing a poem is, is such a classic literary device of, you know, uh, ex express expression, expressing yourself. And I love that there is such a in-touch connection with their emotions to art. And I feel like it comes out in the characters. And that's what I get from Animaniacs. Uh, that and really fun gags with caricatures of celebrities. Uh, so <laughs> the more the merrier. So bring it on. Uh, but yeah, that, th those four um, actors, um, just from the impression they made as a child uh, on me, uh, they're like the gold standard, absolutely. Um, definitely, uh, just yeah. Rob Paulson, uh, just within that show alone, just the, the number of hats he wears. Uh, a no, lot. Yes. volumes <laughs> to just like his skill level, it's just amazing. Uh, so I, yeah, I am super pumped. Uh, now I have to weasel my way. I'm, I'm so behind, I'm so busy. Being a magician is a full-time job, so I, I barely ever get to do my homework on what the latest and greatest is. So I'm excited to now have the excuse to get caught up on Looney Tunes, and uh, Hulu is my next frontier after this. So um, Awesome. But actually, to well, relate the two, I'm, I'm curious uh, if you know, 
uh, I understand that Animaniacs, at least the original um, iteration, maybe the current one as well, used the actual orchestra space to record the scores. Is this true? That's correct. Yes. Uh, so they yeah. brought that back for Looney Tunes cartoons, and I believe these Animaniacs as well. And then I um, imagine so Tom and Jerry as well, since it's the same team. Same people, yeah. That's yeah. why. That's part of why I feel like this is just so great because the musicality of some of the gestures. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to those shorts. Uh, deeper discussion of that, but yeah, that's uh, a common thread that um, between all the things we're discussing, it's really um, amazing. Yeah, absolutely. The musicality of the Tom and Jerry's were conducted by different conductors, but they're they're. Uh, collaborators on all of the Looney Tunes cartoons and just across the board, they're so talented in what they bring to the animation and the feel of the world that we're in while we're watching. So shout out to the, the composers um, and just everybody involved in these. It's, it's a layered experience you get because it's, it's really rare. And what I loved about the, this announcement and everybody coming back um, is that it's really rare for there to be such a team that exists at, at a studio that wants to put forth all this effort into making cartoons. And we have that currently, and I don't want to lose that. So that's why I'm pushing on this praise out there. And I really want people to go find them, uh, watch them, enjoy them, uh, because they're so enjoyable. There's a lot to take away from that. So yeah, moving on to round out the news. We had one other segment uh, that we wanted to talk about, which is, and I, this actually, this news came out in December, but I haven't talked about it yet. I've been waiting and I'm so glad to be talking about it with you, Brandon. We are gonna have a James Gunn co-written film about Wiley Coyote defending his self against the Acme Corporation in court. I cannot wait. Uh, Dave Green is behind this. He's directed Earth Taco and uh, the 2016 TMNT Out of the Shadows, which was cartoony in all the best ways. And it brought to life Bebop and Rocksteady, two of my favorite uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles characters. This project has been on my radar for a really long time. And the fact that they have James Gunn involved means that it's going to get wild. And I'm looking forward. I'm so looking forward to this. Uh, what was your take on this news? And do you want to see Wiley Coyote in court? Um, yes. Well, first of all, this is two two things I want to touch on. As far as James Gunn's go um, goes, rather, um, you, you, he was the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. You said yes. Yes. Yeah. So he uh, wrote and directed Guardians of the Galaxy. He wrote uh, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. He wrote Scooby-Doo, bringing it back to cartoons. Um, yeah, he he has a history with cartoons and he had an animated character in his segment of Movie 43, which overall was a hot mess. But his uh, segment was actually pretty funny. Um, and he's done Slither and Super. Yeah, he is... He's a dark comedy guy, but he loves cartoons. So what is what is that going to mean for Wiley Coyote? And do you want Wiley Coyote to talk? Oh, well, first of all, um, I've I have enjoyed the rare instances, you know, super genius, you know, that does come up uh, here and yes. there. So I'm I'm on board with those ones. I'm not completely offended by that um, when he does talk. And uh, dark comedy, 
what is more dark comedy than uh, Coyote and Roadrunner? Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> and, Very true. And uh, as far as uh, Avengers goes, I haven't actually watched the Avengers film, but what I can say is to, as a testament to its success, you know, they say when you try to re bring something back that was already successful and in the zeitgeist, it's a real challenge. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy did exist, but it was not in the zeitgeist to the extent that all these other properties have been in the past. So yes. uh, James Gunn was the one that took that and made it into a real something special. Uh, so I feel like, you know, it also had some cartoon sensibilities. There's a talking raccoon and there's... Uh, Groot, a talking tree. all this stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so Absolutely. I feel like it'll translate well uh, from just that cursory glance from the outside. Um, so I'm excited about that. And then also, I broke this news to you. I don't know whether it was before the episode or not, but just, you know, the fact that this book exists. Tell the audience about what you're holding. Yes. <laughs> the audio <laughs> listeners. I was going to get there. I know that this is a podcast. <laughs> I know. Uh, this is the Acme catalog. So this is written by, um, you can hear the flapping pages. There's your, uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Uh, it was written by uh, Warner Brothers writers uh, about all different Acme products. Um, so in that same vein, as that excitement of telling you about this book, um, you read in the article, I believe, that uh, this was actually based on a Coyote versus Acme article that was in maybe the New York Times. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Are you also aware that that was published into a book too? Uh, no, that was published into a book. Yeah, so much like this that I'm holding here of the Acme catalog. <laughs> I, as the podcast listeners, uh, <laughs> that's the flipping pages for you guys. Uh, there's a book that is also kind of in a similar form that was made of that article. Um, oh, nice. probably, I, I don't own it. I'd like to own it. it I'm going to try. Some, I'm going to try to track it down. Try to track both of these down. You deserve both of these books, Jonathan. Treat <laughs> 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 <Hate> yourself. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought I'd break that news to you too. That there's a book of that. So um, that's what was my excitement. Was that I was, however many years ago I heard about that book, I was excited about that book, and now I'm quadruply excited about it being a film. So yeah. yeah. Great news. How are they gonna how are they gonna contextualize all of this? Because there's so many moving moments of like putting Wiley e. Coyote in a courtroom and just is he gonna lift up signs? Is he going to have a defense attorney? Like like how does how is this gonna come together? I have so many questions, but I'm excited about the journey that we're gonna go on with this. I'd like to see him being represented by I, I haven't chosen the character yet, but someone else already in the um, you know, that universe. Yes. And then I'd like there to be an anvil that falls on that, his representation. <laughs> and then he holds up a sign like, yikes. Uh, and then he's like, well, and then he's put in the position where he's forced to represent himself. And then, you know, it looks like this is a job for Wild E. Coyote, super genius. So at that point, he's then forced to speak as Wild E. Coyote, super genius. And then they move on from there. So I feel like, Kind of much, I don't want to do a spoiler, but kind of like one of these shorts we uh, are going to talk about later where you're set up with a subversion of expectations. I'd like to see that subversion where you think the whole film he won't talk. Maybe even a large portion of the film even, maybe the first half 
or at least first third or something uh communicating through signs and blueprints drawing his blueprints and everything uh <laughs> to reenact the scenes and all that um but i think uh who will be speaking on his behalf in the beginning will be foghorn leghorn Ooh, nice. yeah i'm thinking old school southern courtroom drama uh i'm thinking if you <clears throat> if you'll indulge me your honor i foghorn leghorn esquire would like to speak on behalf of my client mr coyote who has experienced a veritable extravaganza of turmoil at the hands of the defendant. I said, I said, turmoil, that suffering, son. Er, uh, I mean, your honor. Will you address the court as your honor? And then he's angry, the judge. Anvil squashes <laughs> the lawyer. And at which point, um, the judge goes, Mr. Coyote, are you prepared to represent yourself before the court? And then, of course, this is where it comes in. Why, yes, this looks like a job for Wild E. Coyote. Super genius. Why, I rather like the sound of that, yes. Super genius. Are you, you're making this up on, off the top of your head? <laughs> uh, I, I thought about it, you know, I had some time. Uh, <laughs> thought about it a little That's bit. great. <laughs> I'm going to write you a script now. <laughs> yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're channeling some real Jim Varney energy there. Oh, well, he's definitely, well, actually, you probably picked up on the veritable extravaganza. Am I right? Is that what, yeah. because that's a Jim Varney-ism, <laughs> uh, but I thought it fit there. <laughs> it did, it did, for sure. No, that that was great. Um, yeah, no, I could definitely see Foghorn coming into this and being a defense attorney. Yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> I cannot be more excited for this project. It sounds, uh, obviously, it's based on a book or an article that got turned into some sort of book, but I... I honestly think that this is such a balls to the wall idea and I love the fact that it's so wacky and also it I think a lot of people are going to be taken aback by this idea but also the fact that if it's done well it will be something that we can celebrate as like hey we have a new Looney Tunes project to be excited about and oh my gosh it's a courtroom drama <laughs> it's just it's so wild like the the mashing of these uh styles i think is so drastic but i think it will work so and yeah thank you for I, bringing that uh insight to it i also hope they get the rights to the i'm not sure what courtroom law and order the kanga <laughs> so like it can be like a, a, a scene change where like it's almost like you know, of course, there's going to be some sort of like fried chicken joke or whatever once he's like fried, you know, whatever, crushed yeah. by a piano or whatever it ha happens to be. Maybe an oven lands on him and it's, you know, a deep fryer lands on him. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but yeah, they're like, well, gong, and that's when he says, are you prepared to represent yourself? Uh, but yeah, I'm excited. I am t 10 digits. You know, I, I don't want to do the two thumbs up. I want to go all 10 digits up for this idea. Uh, I want them to green light it immediately. Do you think the Roadrunner will side with Acme? 
That's actually, I think he would be a, uh, a witness, a character witness. Oh, okay. Called off. Yeah, okay. And then it, perfect. Uh, and whether they subvert our expectations in what way. And speaking of subverting our expectations, we're going to get into a great, awesome subversion of expectations in the latest uh, short that's in the new thing. We're going to get to that. Our, the new, right. There is a great subversion. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so you're already implying that we're going to be talking about shorts. Uh, let's just dive into the shorts. So we have the classic seminal Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner short, Fast and Furious, or Furious, if you look at it in a certain way. Um, this is directed by Chuck Jones and written by Michael Maltese. It's seminal in watching cartoons and, and going back into the history of them and who is Wiley e. Coyote? Who is Roadrunner? Like, what are these characters? What are they about? And we're thrown into the desert, given the raw nature of Wiley e. Coyote wanting to eat a bird <laughs> in the desert and not being able to. And it just allows for all of this comedic antic to ensue while Wiley e. is given this... Uh, out, out, outside of the world uh, loyalty to a brand that ultimately is going to be the the source of his downfall every time in this Acme Corporation, um, <laughs> which is why he's going to have to take them to court later. And um, yeah, just what, obviously we're going to talk about some of the main gags here, um, but overall, what do you think of this short and what stands out to you as, as being like classic Wiley e. Coyote? Well, first of all, I'm going to stop you right there, Jonathan, because I don't think it was very short. I, I tr looked up Fast and Furious. I watched um, <laughs> maybe Fast and Furious 1 through 27. Uh, I love the fast cars. Uh, Vin Diesel was great as Elmer Fudd. Um, but I, I'm kidding! <laughs> I, had, I, had, I couldn't resist the temptation. Forgive, forgive me, Jonathan. You are based on Acme comedy. So did this impact you as a kid? Big time. This is, uh, well, I'd say currently, it's just definitely the core influence of, you know, yeah. Wiley E. Coyote himself. Um, you know, my more theatrical show that I do uh, that is more about me being a cartoon rather than me doing tricks that celebrate cartoons. Um, it is all, it's a hunger-driven motif, if you will, uh, a hunger-driven uh, storyline. Uh, so that's pulling directly from uh, Wiley E. Coyote. And you know, as a kid, yes. it was you know, it's all a big amalgamation of all a lot of uh, Looney Tunes, but that definitely was a big one. And um, like you've mentioned in the past, uh, you and your grandfather um, watched it together, and it appealed to you as a very young guy. Uh, and I think the nonverbal um, communication of it, you know, it hits on every level. Uh, it appeals to every intellect every different age group and there are some elaborate things that happen in these cartoons that i would say appeal to uh higher intellect as well it's not just a uh lowbrow slapstick yeah and it's it, as you're saying it's very universal because mm -hmm. of the no dialogue and i i i just i love that this is a cat and mouse formula but they put it in the desert with these two characters uh, or animals that we've never really seen animated before, and prior to this, uh, I don't know. I don't know how popular Roadrunners and Coyotes were, but 
I guarantee you they became way more popular after this. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was like the first person to put Mac with cheese. Uh, and that was right. The thing. <laughs> or peanut butter with jelly. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, For sure. Uh, because, yes, um, the coyote looks a bit like a coyote. Um, you know, and the snout, um, as I've said in the past, is um, kind of a has become an iconic, maybe not anatomically correct, but uh, is accentuated and has become such an iconic form. I remember owning yes. the, uh, did you ever have any of those mugs? I uh, did, yeah. <laughs> so just the- They had that long snout to them. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I remember fondling uh, my coyote mug, just like taking in all the shapes of the, the snout and the, you know, it was a multi-sensory experience of just, how great that design is and then yeah listeners yeah. if you don't know what we're talking about in the 90s they had these classic uh cartoon head mugs of the classic looney tunes and they had a wily e. coyote one where they really 3d modeled the entire shape of the wily e. coyote's head and you got to drink out of it it was a bizarre experience but i i love those mugs i wish it would bring them back i've seen them on ebay recently actually and uh they're still like popular for people to have them you have uh two books and a mug on your shopping list now uh that you uh you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes i do so let's get into the 1949 short this is directed by chuck jones written by michael maltese as i mentioned and stars wiley coyote and the roadrunner they are given latin names at this uh at this time and they were given um carnivorous vulgaris for the coyote and Accelerati Incredibus for the Roadrunner. And this short is the first, the very first uh, installment of this series. And they knocked it out of the park with this first one. And I've noticed Looney Tunes have a really good record of when they nail characters upon first appearance certain traits stick with them for the rest of their careers. And they did this with Bugs Bunny as well. Um, not the, uh, the, the one that we consider the first Bugs Bunny cartoon is a wild hare. And in that he is, uh, he pulls all the antics on Elmer Fudd and he's like pretending to be dead. And he's, he's doing all the things that we love about Bugs Bunny in this one short. And the same goes for here. We have Wile E. Coyote using binoculars, licking his lips. Um, we have him using Acme products, a lot of Acme products. <laughs> and we have the Roadrunner also being a personality here where he, at, he is one-upping Coyote in, in really fun gags. Uh, one of which is when... Uh, Wiley Coyote puts out a, a school crossing sign and dresses as a little schoolgirl, like going to school and crossing the street. And Roadrunner just like speeds by. Um, and I forgot to mention Wiley's wearing a wig, like this really like frizzy uh, blonde wig. And the Roadrunner uh, comes back after uh, knocking the Roadrunner over. And he's holding a sign that says Roadrunners can't read, but he's also wearing a wig. It's just ridiculous, but it shows that they both have personalities that we can get behind. And I think that that's really fun and something that's been carried through the entirety of the series. Every time you see Wiley and Coyote 
uh, Wiley, <laughs> Wiley, Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner together, they are going to have this chemistry that is unlike any other pairing. Yes. Uh, actually, you know, I've seen this before, of course, but uh, now reviewing it in the context that it is the first short um, was I was blown away that uh, this much stuff was established and that it wasn't just that the Roadrunner gets away. Like you said, it's um, this little turn on it at the end of uh, in all these places where with the lid, when he holds up the um, what I would maybe call a culinary lid that you would cover food with. Yeah. I interpreted that to be um, how the road. Uh, I don't know how to quite break it down. You'll have to review this yourselves, listeners. But basically, the coyote's holding it up so that the roadrunner will run into it. But then the roadrunner runs away. And while the coyote, while he's still in the thought process of picking it up uh, and running after him, rather, the roadrunner picks it up. And then <laughs> before he's realized that the roadrunner has even returned and picked it up himself, he himself runs into it. And I thought. I'm surprised that's happening already in the, the first one. And, um, you know, the paint, the painting bits are in there, painting tunnels and um, painting tunnels on rocks. Yeah. That's in there. Blueprints are on there where he's uh, putting together a integral trap for the roadrunner to fall into and it backfires. The, uh, the, the boulder gag is in here where he has a pin that is dangling off a cliff and it's connected to a rock. So any force that knocks that pin, will knock the boulder over and he puts bird seed at the bottom of that and he's hiding behind the boulder and as soon as he thinks it's going to go the animation here is so on point because it looks like it's going to start going and then just falls right back on him <laughs> there's no reason for that to happen other than gravity hates wily coyote which it, we know like gravity is his worst enemy and it's just so funny to me that all of this was established in this first short it's like Roger Rabbit said, you know, I can only do that if it's funny or when it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that rock will do that when it's funny. And that's how it is. <laughs> exactly. um, I was always struck also that the motif of the giant fork and knife yes. came out right away. I'm, yes. this is right away. Of, right away. <laughs> that's the sound of a giant fork and knife. I have my own here. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, then the, the lid that went into the boomerang, which um, not only – came back and hit him and spun around his neck but then i think it came back a second time and hit him oh the acme boomerang so yeah he throws one and as soon as he releases he gets hit with another one and the roadrunner has thrown one ah, and so then he turns and he sees that and then he starts to run after the roadrunner and then he gets hit with his own which is just returned <laughs> Um, comedic gold yes yes and I, I already said the painted tunnel but you know it led he led it was a whole elaborate thing where he took the line in the middle of the road he continued through the desert he brought that line all the way up to the wall he painted it roadrunner ran through roadrunner came back out all of that um buried oh yes this is another one i can't believe that in my head this has all happened over the whole scope of sure. his quote-unquote career if you will. Sure. I guess maybe Chuck yeah. Jones's career. Um, it was the, he buried a piece of TNT. I think he may have put bird seed on top of it. And then when he went to use the detonator, the detonator. The exploded. detonator blows Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I did notice the Chuck Jones motel. Uh, yeah. You had mentioned to look out for it. And I, I saw it this time and I was, I was really, uh, I was pleasantly surprised by the uh, inherent credit given yes, to uh, Chuck egg. Jones on this little, like, yeah, little <laughs> Easter egg. And uh, that was really fun. 
Uh, and that actually, this not that, that happens at the very end, but what I just mentioned, the uh, detonator, that leads us into the super outfit. Ah, the super outfit. Okay, so this is, dear listeners, if you're not familiar with the game of the World of Mayhem, this is what brings us full circle into talking about that game. But uh, in the short, Wile E. Coyote puts on a super outfit that is not unlike Superman, and he believes that this will give him super strength and the ability to fly. And I believe Acme actually says that. It says it will give you the ability to fly. And he he sprints toward the end of a ledge, super convinced, by the way. Like, the trust here is incredible because any other character would be very nervous to jump off a cliff. But he's like full gung-ho about it. He's like, I'm going to run and jump off this cliff. And he does, and he puts his hand out like he's going to fly, and immediately he falls. He falls straight down. <laughs> and it is it is a wild gag because it only lasts for like 10 seconds. But I love that it's in here. And I, I feel like people at Warner Brothers just loved the, uh, the superheroes because there's so many little injections of superhero things. But I digress. Uh, let's get into the World of Mayhem news, which is this character showing up in the game, and I believe he's in there currently, so you can currently unlock him. He is in a campaign called To Be a Hero, and this will have you be able to unlock the variant with Wiley Coyote wearing this really fun superhero costume. Former superheroes that have already been introduced into the game include Super Rabbit, the Flaming Succotash, Presto Pig, and now Super Coyote. I see a little uh, duck dodge. Did duck dodgers have a little antenna on top of his head? Uh, he did! Yeah, yeah. He did, yeah! <laughs> little duck dodgers on top, and then even the way the cloth uh, shoes fit his feet, they are kind of bird-like once they're covered, his feet are covered in uh, yellow. Um, not that it's supposed to refer to Duck Dodgers, I'm just, you know, that's what comes to mind. And he is wearing yellow yeah. gloves, which we now see in the new Looney Tunes a lot. Uh, yes. Yeah. At least it was- That's really interesting, too, because, so a lot of the older, uh, a lot of the earlier, a lot of the original designs for these characters had yellow gloves. So it's interesting that in this first appearance of Wiley Cody, he dons yellow gloves. That's an interesting note. Thank you for pointing that out. It's subtle and brief, but it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Very brief. Is he wearing briefs on the outside of the costume as well? <laughs> no, he's not, but that would, that would be a, a, a great pun. <laughs> I'll take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I just wanted to run down some of his traits in the game. Uh, this Super Coyote is an epic. His role is attacker, and he is going to be in the city region. Uh, he has a friendship with heroes, nemesis with villains, and also a nemesis with Roadrunner. <laughs> his skill set includes Chest Puffer, Catastro Punch, Coyote Confidence, Suit Up, Heroes Never Sleep, and Cloak and Dagger. Uh, what do you think about the design here on this new character in the game? Uh, well, like I said, I touched on, you know, the antenna and the uh, the socks being kind of bird-like or Duck Dodgers-like even. Um, yeah, I love but, how baggy it is on him. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, 
Uh, it's ill-fitting as it should be. Uh, <laughs> as it should be, exactly. Ill-fitting Ill fits him well. <laughs> the new Looney Tunes cartoons has introduced some, some very fun dynamics to be introduced into the Wile E. Coyote oeuvre, if you will. We've already had some really fun visual gags in this series with either Wile E. Coyote painting uh, the, the rock to be a, a continuation of a tunnel and then getting trapped in it and then Roadrunner uh, washing it away with water. Like that was completely out of left field and so unique. And it continues uh, with what we're about to talk about, which is this new short. So it's, these episodes are three shorts entirely. And within one of the segments is a Wile E. Coyote cartoon. And that is what we'll be talking about today. True Shinanigans is a, um, basically, the story is, follows Daffy as he shines Elmer Fudd's shoes. A resistant Elmer Fudd at first. Uh, he convinces him, uh, I guess Elmer doesn't want any funny business is the whole thing. So the, uh, my takeaway as a performer is this whole sketch is a look don't see bit. So for performers who are family show performers or kids show performers, this is a device that we use that gets kids laughing and going crazy, screaming, getting out of their seats. Uh, and it works in a cartoon too. I watch this with my kids and there's a lot of giggling going on. Um, so basically what, what the, why I'm saying this is Daffy, first of all, is like, would you like a bit shine? You know, and he's like, uh, just give me, you know, some, first of all, I should mention, is this the correct word? Um, alliteration? Is that what you call when uh, you're using the letters? Same the consonant on multiple words. Yeah, something like, yeah, I believe alliteration is what I'm going for. So we got some great alliteration with Elmer as he's, uh, I forget, I should have written down the exact words he used, but you know, you working quest, uh, work, uh, some, I forget exactly what it was. Um, but then he, Daffy starts off saying he's going to do a spit shine, but then he like, he sniffs the uh, shoe polish and is basically like, nah, throws it away, gets ketchup and mustard and squares <laughs> it on the he makes a sandwich out of the shoes. <laughs> <Right>. Ingests <laughs> them, swallows them, yes. regurgitates them, and they're on the sh his feet again by the time Elmer looks down from his newspaper. So that's where the look don't see happens is Daffy's doing all this extreme stuff while Elmer can't see him. And then every time he looks, everything appears to be business as usual. Um, yes. And that's a look don't see <laughs> bit. And kids just eat that up. Um, <laughs> I, know, I do too. It, it works really well here. Uh, one of the things that I noticed right off the bat was Elmer Fudd is wearing his Elmer's Candid Camera outfit, um, which is really bizarre <laughs> for Elmer because he, he usually doesn't dress up like that. Um, so this was a fun little pullback, uh, pull back the curtain and like see one of the prototypes of Elmer Fudd uh, get redone here. Um, but yeah, it, it might be the only version where he wears fancy shoes. So maybe that's why they went back to it. Yeah. And I think also it's a kind of like an Alfred Hitchcock kick the dog situation where they make you, they want Daffy to be the underdog, uh, as if he wasn't already <laughs> by default. <laughs> the underduck. Right. The underduck, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, while we're on the subject of Daffy, um, you know, I've heard Daffy and Bugs 
um, spoken about as two sides of the same coin. Um, Bugs being the, you know, I think by either producers or writers of Looney Tunes saying, Bugs is who they wish to be, and Daffy, unfortunately, is who they turn out to actually be. Um, <laughs> that was actually Chuck Jones. That was Chuck uh, bringing Jones. it back to Chuck Jones. Yeah, Perfect. Uh, he. That's how he saw the characters. Right. Uh, Bugs is everything that we want to be, but Daffy is who we are when we when we wake up in the morning. And as an amalgam. Uh, the, those two are, for instance, Bugs Bunny has been spoken of being, um, at least in initially, um, uh, tell me if the names are escaping me, but first of all, of course, Groucho Marx. Are you talking about all the people that have made up Bugs think, Bunny? I'm just thinking of the second guy who he was known, he was eating a, uh, a carrot in a... Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a character from, it happened one night, and uh, that was played by Clark Gable. That's, ex- Clark Gable is exactly who I'm going for. Uh, so Shushan Shenanigans uh, is a really fun short. I had a blast watching this. It is that one gag over and over and over again, but it works on a number of levels because it's just endlessly funny to see what Daffy will do to his shoes without him noticing. And at the end of it, he is kind of a jerk because he doesn't pay him. And he's like, oh, I left my wallet in my other trousers. <laughs> and uh, Daffy's just like staring there bewildered. And then Elmer gets hit by a bus. <laughs> and the shoes uh, wind up back in Daffy's hands. And, you know, uh, you get what's coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> Two things here is that if you dissect this, that bewilderment is Daffy is like, I just worked so hard for that 25 cents. Like, this, I gave you my premium treatment. I ate your shoes. I spit them on your feet. I welded them and set them on fire. I filled the room with soap. I blew a party horn through your ear. Uh, you know, uh, all this stuff. It, it keeps escalating. He's like, I was working hard for that 25 cents. Unbeknownst <laughs> to you, uh, I can't believe I'm being sniffed. Uh, and then, Elmer, uh, since we do have that Hitchcock, um, you know, kick the dog uh, dynamic going so that uh, once yeah. uh, Elmer stiffs him and is then flattened by a bus, uh, we don't feel bad for Elmer. We feel bad for Daffy, and we have that button, as we you know, as most of these end on a nice button. Uh, you know, that's what happens. Or I guess when you're being full lift, that's what you get for being full lift. So I don't remember the exact <laughs> yeah. thing, but something with full lift. Um, and you, yeah. yeah, he's been painted as being this soulless. Um, you know, not down to earth, um, unrelatable character and gives us that button to end on there. I love that because he is soulless because he doesn't have the souls in the shoes anymore. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I, I, I laughed. I laughed uh, at that joke. So it works. But the, uh, the main re- reason why we're here uh, going over this specific episode is because there is a while. Actually, you know what? Let's do let's do the Porky one. Let's let's skip the Wiley one. We'll end on it. Good idea. Um, because so the other short, not the Wiley one, but the other one that's attached to this is Parky Pig. It is a play on Porky's name, and poor Porky has such a terrible time finding parking to go to this theater. I feel so bad for him. I've actually been in that situation before here in LA. Parking is atrocious, and it can be. And he he does everything he can to try to find the the nicest, closest spot. And the, the gag that stood out for me in this is he goes in a parking garage and he goes all the way to the top and he sees an open spot 
And he's like, finally. And he pulls into it. And in the front of it, at the entrance of this spot, it says reserved for Bugs Bunny. And Porky goes, he's always getting the star treatment. And it's such a really funny meta joke because Porky Pig started the Looney Tunes. And Bugs is the one that gets all the acclaim and all the recognition and Mr. Looney Tune. <laughs> but Porky has been there the entire time. <laughs> and unfortunately, it happens again where he doesn't get a spot. And, um, and then he leaps off the parking garage in his car. And I thought that that was really fun. Uh, the car is unharmed and he finally finds a spot. But it turns out to be the spot right in front of his house. <laughs> <laughs> as if he never left um there's another fun cameo the uh the cuckoo clock that he has uh on his wristwatch and also in his house is from another classic short um so i recognize that character design immediately and he's just urging porky to leave because he's going to be late um but but everything ends on a happy note because porky winds up at home and he's watching the movie from home and uh that bird has quit <laughs> so he'll never interrupt Porky ever again with being late to something. Um, but what did you think of this uh, this short Porky? Yes, well, my, my little kernel on this, you know how in um, Shoeshine Nanigans, my takeaway was that the uh, comic mechanism was the look, don't see. As much as that was the case in that short, in this short, the mechanism is the callback. This is a callback extravaganza. Almost every bit you see at any point is later going to be called back as you watch it. Um, so there's, you know, of course, right off the bat in the beginning, the cuckoo clock, it becomes it comes back as a watch maybe twice uh, before it finally quits. Um, the uh, first parking spot he goes to, first of all, just the parking trouble in itself is a reoccurring gag. So that's a callback on its own. But then the first, the very first parking spot, the reason he can't park there is a traffic cop. Um, Right. So that is the nice uh, bookend callback there. That's from the beginning to the end. Well, so right after he's finally on his couch, the happy ending, uh, not to, I guess I should bury this lead, but that's okay. The button on this one is that uh, the callback is to the parking guy. He's like, there's always a p -p parking spot on my couch. And then the uh, parking officer, you know, taps him on the shoulder. He's like, eh, eh, tapping his pen on his clipboard and, Porky gets a ticket on his own couch. Uh, <laughs> but I wish it made More a, wacky, yes. wacky shenanigans going on. Yes. I wish it made a, <laughs> uh, a comprehensive list of what the all the callbacks were. But oh yeah, the mirror gag in the beginning was hilarious. He's like, you know, if I don't say so myself, you know, I sure look good if I don't say so myself. And his reflection says, "You did say so yourself." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I also, this is a tiny detail that stood out to me was um, an automated um, gate at the parking garage. First, you know, it says to dispense your ticket, push this button. And then it says to take out a loan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The, so for the parking garage, the price just keeps going up every like second <laughs> and it goes up astronomically. It's like $20 and then $20 and then $20. And uh, by the time he goes over, there, it's $400. To stay in there for 15 minutes. <laughs> and then I guess the uh, one bit that's not a callback, another one that's similar to that, that's a subtlety of things going up. I, I guess in this sense, it is a callback. It's a callback to that joke structure. 
Um, he's yeah. after he launches himself off of the parking garage. Um, first of all, there's a callback to the mass, the gas mileage. You know, it's a slow car, but I save so much on gas. So he flies off of the roof, uh, and he's going slowly sailing down to the ground as if gravity is factors into his gas mileage. And he says, "Like I so much money." Uh, but then once he hits the floor, the ground, he starts going. Oh no, maybe the speedometer is showing that he's going fast, but he's moving slow. I'm not even sure. There's some conflicting uh, physics at play here. But at any rate. The speedometer is escalating to all these different words for so much faster. And then the max speed that this thing maxes out on is Speedy Gonzalez. Yes, yes. That was a really fun nod to that character who we've yet to see in this series. But it might be foreshadowing. Um, but maybe, maybe. Uh, that was a really fun uh, shout out to, to Speedy Gonzalez here. Um, and uh, yeah, just overall, like his disposition never changes. He's always happy, you know, he's always, um, I mean, he does get frustrated, but like it, it doesn't overtake his personality because he gets frustrated and then all of a sudden he's right back to that happy-go-lucky porky pig that we know, um, saving on gas mileage. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, he, this is like quintessential porky pig. And I had actually seen, a still from this prior to watching this short and i thought it was something i had missed from the 70s like the animation style here is so good and so clean um but it also feels uh, i thought the direction here was really good and the uh it, it's just a fun little short um and uh bob bergen always does the voice of porky pig and he's he's just he knows that character and he's just phenomenal at it he is porky um, yeah yeah, he is Porky. Uh, so yeah, um, did you have any closing thoughts about about this one? Well, I, I should have buried the lead and saved the button for now, but I will say that uh, even that mirror gag, I'm now realizing, has a callback uh, where he says, um, you know, if I don't, don't say so myself, and then the mirror says, but you did, when he says, there's, there's gotta be a, there must be a parking spot somewhere in this city, and then the blimp flies up in the background. Did you notice that? No. A blimp comes up behind him and lights up and says, there's not. Oh, <laughs> yes. So, yes, I did. <laughs> as far as joke structures, that even that was a callback, in my opinion. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me a director's name was on a blimp. No, I don't. I'm not calling back to um, the original <laughs> Wiley Coyote um, short. No, no, no. Uh, just the Chuck wait, Jones Motel right. is where you can find a parking spot. <laughs> I believe this was an intentional callback within the, the uh, short here, uh, just to... Yes. I don't think they. I don't think they left a single stone unturned. I think almost every gag has a callback, which is very impressive. Yeah, a lot of work went into these. Um, I'm sorry. I'm pausing because I'm trying to find who directed it. Oh, <laughs> and give them credit. <laughs> oh my god. And actually, I'm on IMDb. You know, I, um, I thought in something I watched recently. I'm not sure whether it was Tom and Jerry shorts or this. Uh, do you know the name Les Marsden? Do you know him? No, okay. Les Marsden. I think Les Marsden popped up in one of the credits, and I'm, I'm Facebook friends with him uh, due to Mark's brother's connections. Uh, but he, oh, nice. He's like a, an orchestrator, uh, you know, a conductor and a composer. Um, and, you know, he's played Chico and Harpo in live productions and stuff, but um, I think he may have composed on either 
these Looney Tunes shorts or maybe the Tom and Jerry ones, it only popped up real fast and I didn't find it on IMDb. Uh, but I think it might be buried in the credits somewhere. Uh, if he is associated with this, when we started our recording yesterday, it was his birthday. So oh, cool. shout out to him if he is, in fact, um, if this is one of his projects. So uh, Shoeshine Shenanigans was directed by David Gimmel. And I just, the direction there is spot on, as you're saying, like the running gag of the see, don't tell, uh, or hide, hide, what, what was it called? Uh, we're talking about shoeshine anagans. That will, yeah. Shoeshine The look, don't see. Look, don't see. Uh, yeah, he, he perfected that in that short. So that was really fun to see. Parky Pig was directed by David Gimmel as well. So both of these, back to back, David Gimmel's, He's just knocking it out of the park with these um, these really fun running gags of Look, Don't See and Parky Pig being that callback, uh, endless endless callbacks. It's just, it's really fun, like all the, all around. And um, I really love the uh, the dedication to these gags that they have. It just seems like they could go on forever because they, they just keep coming up with creative ways to make it fresh. So the reason why we are covering this specific episode is because it contains a Roadrunner and Wiley County short. This one is directed by Ryan Kramer and is called Multiply and Conquer. This is a really imaginative, imaginative short because it has an Acme product in it that we've never seen before, the Acme Multiplier. And Wiley Coyote has come up with the ultimate plan to drop a boulder on Roadrunner by putting seeds at the bottom of a cliff. And yes, this was done in the very first Wiley Coyote short that we have already talked about on this show. But when it fails, he turns to Acme in a brand new way. What, what stood out to you in this short and this specific gag that I found absolutely hilarious. Well, I want to build to it, you know, kind of paint the scene. But I, what I will say is this, you know, these were unique uh, in the other two shorts, one being the look, don't see, the other being, I guess callbacks are not unique, but you know what I mean. And this, um, sure. it's the subversion of expectations, which is uh, not something that is specific to this new short. This is a common theme in Coyote and Roadrunner. Um, that's how they keep it so fresh is that they build on what you are now have now become your expectation. Uh, they take that and they subvert it. Um, so at first this is building on just all that classic stuff. So this is perfect to be pairing with the uh, fast and furious uh, because it does, like you said, it builds on the boulder. Uh, and then of course, just the expectation that he's never going to catch this road runner. Uh, that's our expectation. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's a valid expectation. Yes. I mean, it's been <laughs> ingrained. We would be crazy to think he's going to catch the Roadrunner at this point. Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but uh, while I want to bury the lead a little bit and just talk about some things that stood out to me. Um, as I said, I watched all these shorts with my children and my son lately has become obsessed with the concept of DNA. So it was really okay. cool to happen to be watching this particular, um, you know, Short, because he uses the Acme Clonomatic. So that's the product that he's using. So he grabs a clump of his fur, which of course, the, we're talking in our house about double helixes. We're talking about it being contained in every cell of your body and your hair. Uh, so the, the 
where it goes <laughs> and gets sucked up into the Acme Clonomatic. And the reason he's resorting to this is because every time he puts the seed down on, uh, you know, on his target area, he rushes up to push the boulder. And every time he gets up there, the Roadrunner has already eaten some and left by the time he makes it up there. So what is yes. the obvious, easy solution? You know, the most... Clone yourself. Yes, of course. The most economically... Uh, <laughs> sensible uh, way of going about this is to clone yourself. <laughs> every, exactly. Yes, every household, um, every parent does that. They clone themselves so they can uh, do all the chores around the house, of course. Um, I could use one of these. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, he makes a clone of himself. Now, what I liked in this is that uh, the, a device they used was he made a, before he ever cloned himself, he used a blueprint with a pencil, he put it behind his ear. Uh, so the Coyote with the pencil behind his ear is the True Blue original YLE. We have that as a thing to track him. We know who's a visual tracker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I caught that too, and I, I really enjoyed that because I instantly looked for. Oh, I need to tell them apart, and I was able to. <laughs> yeah, and then so one one clone comes out. One has a pencil. The other one doesn't. He, um, I believe, Chuck Jones animated the Grinch. You did. Yes. Yeah. So um, I picked up on a very Chuck Jonesian detail here, which was um, uh, a close-up of Wiley Coyote's face, and he does this Grinchy grin. You know, the one where the Grinch, his face goes up, and if it were the Grinch, his uh, little tufts of hair curl up, his and all that. Was this yeah, yeah. Are you talking about the profile shot where the teeth like take up the entire frame directly after that? So it's like directly. Yeah, after it's that. the same thought process. It shows like the teeth and they look very intense, and then it comes to like a frontal look, I believe, if I'm rem remembering this correctly. Uh, and his mouth just curls up like the Grinch would, and I'm like, that's very Chuck Jones yes. right there. Um, what I love about these new shorts, specifically with Wiley, is that the new character design is so evil looking like he's so um grotesque in his hunger and i love that about him because you instantly know how hungry he is and i i feel like with the red around his eyes and like how his eyes are like now oh like slightly older and droopier and his teeth and mouth are just like so sharp and everything looking uh so in enlarged I think that it adds to the the desperation that he's feeling. And I for Wiley Coyote, and what you're picking up on is the influence of Chuck Jones. And obviously Chuck Jones created these characters, but I love the fact that they have taken what was started way back in 1949 and, and influenced it into what it would be like today if if he still had never caught that roadrunner, you know, like like there's still that anticipation that we that we as an audience need for him to catch him but also the wily coyote needs to eat <laughs> he hasn't had a meal in 40 years yeah <laughs> no he hasn't <laughs> he should have a little gray you know in some spots uh, as if this is still that same meal he's been chasing all these years <laughs> and yeah they've amplified those elements and it's definitely a very post ren and stimpy uh, level they take it to uh, the growth they call them gross ups gross yeah gross up like it's like a close that sounds yeah, right I think it's like a close up a gross out close up gross ups I think that's the word <laughs> <laughs> for sure and Ren and Stimpy is definitely an influence here so good call.
So, uh, yeah, so Wiley e. Coyote sends his DNA into this machine, presses a button, outsteps a cloned version of Wiley. And whenever that happens in, in cartoons or anything, you're always looking for the mental capacity to be right. Because, sure, it looks like Wiley e. Coyote, but it, does it think like Wiley e. Coyote? Can it be conniving? Can it be, is it still hungry for the Roadrunner? Like, is it going to be hungry for like, antelopes or like like something <laughs> completely different and then why the character is like oh my god <laughs> i have to deal with this guy but no in this short wiley coyote's clone is exactly after the same thing he's looking forward to uh which is putting together a plan and executing that plan to capture the roadrunner and so this clone comes out they go back to the boulder scenario and one hides behind the cactus and one is up by the by the boulder ready to push it over and comedy ensues the roadrunner shows up eats the bird seed leaves and the wily coyote clone goes and puts goes to uh signals the uh the other coyote before he leaves to uh to push the boulder and as soon as roadrunner leaves he rushes back over to put more bird seed and boom the uh, boulder falls and crushes him um, <laughs> so back to the drawing board and let's go back to the clonomatic and see what happened. So at this point he produces five, is it five more or five in general? Five more. Okay. okay. <laughs> I buried the lead. Actually, I, I was a little premature. This is where the Chuck Jones Grinch smile happens. It's after the five. Ah, more. Yeah. Okay. So is the listeners confused on reviewing? That's, that's why. Um, and at which point he cracks his, Rube Goldbergian. R- yep. Rube Goldbergian scheme. Uh, so it's an elaborate blueprint comes out and he gives everyone has a job. Uh, I've listed the different elements as they come out. Uh, spring-loaded boxing glove, slingshot between two boulders, trebuchet, giant tennis racket, and then for himself, a giant catcher's mitt. Yes. All important, necessary, you know, uh, things to... <laughs> all important to catch the roadrunner yes uh it's the perfect uh, mix because what happens is um i guess first the the boxing glove hits him he well i don't want to i don't want to run down for the, the listener that hasn't seen this because a lot of people haven't oh, seen this. okay who do are we going to spoil the um yes we're going to spoil right. it but we're not going right. to run down the the visual gags okay fair enough yes 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 um so this plan on paper looks great i would say this is probably right in the top maybe 10 wily e. coyote plans blueprint plans that can go right to to catch the roadrunner and the and listeners i we are going to spoil the end of this and i'm really sorry for those that haven't seen it if you if you have access to hbo max stop this recording and go watch it and then come back and listen to us talk about it and if you don't it will still be funny when you watch it, but we have to talk about this ending because this ending shocked me. <laughs> Skip forward an entire minute, yeah. hit the 30-second button twice. Now. There we okay. go. <laughs> so the plan goes off without a hitch, and the Roadrunner winds up in the hands and clutches of the original Wild E. Coyote. The plan has worked. But what hasn't worked is his 
forward thinking in that all of the other Wiley Coyotes would want a piece. <laughs> so he is his own downfall <laughs> because he has made too many clones to share the Roadrunner with. And the they surround him and viciously attack him. And the Roadrunner gets away scot-free. It is a genius subversion of expectation. Yes. Um, and I will say also the Roadrunner does not uh, break a sweat. He is there completely complacent looking like as if there's no harm. Uh, so much to the point that where my son said, is, is he, is he dead? Is he, is that him? Is it a, is that a fake Roadrunner? What's happening? Uh, <laughs> but then lo and behold, like the Roadrunner just doesn't care to that level. He's just that confident. Uh, and then once they all start fighting and there's a big dust cloud, he exits that cloud uh, unharmed and then comes back in on the button for the end of the uh, short, holding a sign that says, less is more. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, he can't read. So wherever he's picking up these signs from, it, it's so funny um, to just, you know, grab and like, show one. But um, <laughs> one of the things, and this goes to the point of your son asking if he's okay. And I laughed at this the animation for the roadrunner getting slung around in the in the gags uh was his eyes start like going wobbly and you're like wait is he like is he okay is he gonna have brain damage after this <laughs> but no he's fine he just runs off at the end and obviously he's, he's still intact to grab a sign and hold it up and say less is more so yeah he's the roadrunner is squeaky clean <laughs> <laughs> Once again, to be out there for another day for road for the Wiley Coyote to somehow comprise a comprise a attack of a plan of attack that will ultimately fail once again. And my one last thing, my one last uh, afterthought on this is uh, we discussed the musicality in these films and the connection between the new ones and the old ones and them having the same orchestra pit that they make the recordings in and all of that. Um, when Wiley Coyote first pushes the boulder onto his clone, maybe it is, and the clone is underneath, at some point when there is a coyote underneath the boulder, uh, the hand, <laughs> the musicality in that moment I, is something that I stood out to me where the hand was the actor. You know, it was drumming the floor, like it's thinking, and then the finger shoots up like it has an idea, um, which if in that case, if it was the clone who got crushed and did that, that's interesting that it was the clone's idea right? Uh, to do it. I'm not sure that it was, but that would be interesting. <laughs> uh, but just the music, uh, the hand as the actor and the musicality were the two things I wanted to point out uh, and just um, to commend them on capturing that uh, musical essence of the original cartoons so well. Yes. So much essence has been captured with these shorts and none more so than in the Wiley Coyotes. Like they have really done, outdone themselves really uh, because they've done such a fantastic job of subverting the expectations as we're talking about, but also doing things that we have yet to explore. When, when I first started watching these shorts, my, my concern was how are you going to capture the magic that they had started in the forties and fifties with these characters. 
And the way you do it is this way. You, you pay homage, but you're doing something new and you're, you're taking the concept and the, the joke concept of these uh, formulas and you're just turning them on, them on their ear. And I think that's what works for them. Um, I, would I like to see more Acme products in one Wiley Coyote episode? Sure. But the fact that they were able to give us belly laughs off of just one I mean, that's commendable. So I, I think they're doing a great job over there. And I really look forward to seeing what else they come up with. Um, if you haven't watched this short yet or this collection of shorts, I, I highly recommend it. Um, and w- w- I mean, would you hi- highly recommend all these shorts as well? 10 digits up, as I said before. <laughs> Across <laughs> the board. Everything we're discussing today is 10 digits up. Awesome. And you have kids and I, I imagine your kids had a good time watching them as well. So yeah, they valuable family time. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you, Brandon, for being on the show. Uh, where can people find you online and where do you want them to track down some of your magic? Yes. Uh, well, you can find me across social media, namely YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Cuckoo Magic, which is spelled K-O-O-K-O-O-M-A-G-I-C. Follow me on Instagram, uh, you know, like me on Facebook. Subscribe to you, all that stuff, please and thank you. Uh, And keep in touch uh, because um, I do virtual shows now. So while this is a podcast and it is non-local to me, I could do a show for any one of you. Just contact me through any of those uh, sources. Uh, my phone number and contact info is all listed there. Call me. We'll talk. <laughs> we'll do lunch. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I can do a show for anything. You know, I do school shows through the computer. I do, um, you name it, nursing homes, all sorts of stuff. It's amazing uh, what has now been virtualized. Yeah. Uh, and then also, um, whether that, I'll just put this plug back in in case it's not somewhere else. Um, pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic, uh, I could be found weekly, live and in person in Pennsylvania, uh, Monday nights at Applebee's Exeter, Pennsylvania, 6 to 8 p.m. Tuesday nights, Applebee's Audubon, Pennsylvania, 6 to 8 p.m. And Thursday nights, Applebee's Pottstown, 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, and that's free magic at your table side, uh, pre-pandemic. And uh, I'm working on a virtual option where uh, by eating at Applebee's, either at takeout or there, you'll get a virtual Zoom show, uh, the password for it, just by getting food at Applebee's, if you're local to me. Uh, But other than that, just just call me. I'll do a show for you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And you'll be able to find all of his contact information on the blog over at podbean.com backslash this means podcast. Thank you, Brandon, for being on the show. The Cartoon Magician is at your disposal if you need them. And I will be putting this video up on our Patreon. So Patreons will get to see all the magic that you've done for me (laughs) so far exclusively, which I'm thrilled (laughs) about, (laughs) but other people will get to enjoy that as well. Um, And uh, yeah, please check out his YouTube channel for more of that. And I'm following you on Instagram and I love all your posts. So yeah, it's, it's a really good time. And I'm sure the listeners are already following you, but I'm following you on Instagram. <laughs> so if you haven't done that, get on there. 
And if you haven't followed me on Instagram, it's this means podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And this means pod on Twitter. I also have a YouTube channel where I'll be posting snippets of this video to advertise the podcast as well as the Patreon. So if you haven't subscribed to that Patreon, get over there, check out the content for there. I have also reviewed and done a reaction to the Tom and Jerry shorts that they have put out from the same team behind Looney Tunes cartoons. And it's just a good time. I, I want to have a community of people that love cartoons to converse uh, respectively and, you know, just talk about the love of animation. And as always, that's not all, folks. It doesn't have to make the cut, but I'm putting it out there. <laughs> uh, I've been envisioning, because tr- when I brush my children's teeth at night, I do an impression of elderly Groucho Marx, and I, sp- I don't break character for the entire thing. Uh, I speak to them. I put the toothpaste on as that. Uh, but lately, I've been casting Daffy as Groucho Marx in the song of Everyone Loves I Love You. Everyone says I love you, but just what they say it for I never knew. It's just inviting trouble for the poor fucker who says I love you. Take a pair of rabbits who get stuck on each other and begin to woo. And pretty soon you'll find a million more rabbits who say I love you. When a lion gets feeling frisky and begins to roar, there's a lot of lion who knows just what he's roaring for. Everything that ever grew, the goose and the gander and the gosling too, the duck upon the water when he feels that way too, says I love quack, quack, quack. Well, that's a wise quack if I've ever heard one. Thanks for the sour persimmons, coven. Now, I have to wipe down the monitor with all the slobber now.